Hello and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the post-apocalyptic films of the VHS era. Tonight we are watching another Donald G. Jackson masterpiece, that being the 1986 you know what? This movie has to be seen to be believed. Like, it's beyond description. Rollerblade. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, thanks for your patience through our two-week hiatus, and apologies in advance for returning from our break to what is likely one of the most beest of B-films of all time. And I'm going to take the fall for this one because I specifically remember asking in some episode about two months from when we started, hey, Luke, why aren't we watching any bad movies? And now, like a man who has inadvertently killed a family of four in a preventable drunk driving accident, I am morose and full of regret. But perhaps there's hope that I can find repentance in the rejuvenating hot tub of the BOD systems. <laughs> skating covenant. <laughs> As of this broadcast, you can find 1986's Rollerblade on YouTube and probably elsewhere. Uh, there's actually a few films we've covered that are no longer available on streaming, like a la carta. It's very sad. But something tells me that Rollerblade isn't going anywhere. I, I feel like it's going to persist online for a very long time. Luke, sometimes I make some snap judgments about the intents of these directors. So just tell me now, do you believe Donald G. Jackson was trying to say some kind of uh, serious biting commentary with Rollerblade? No. Thank um, God. I, thank yeah. Thank you. All right. In, in, I'm glad to get that out of the way. In fact, uh, as as far as I understand it, um, he grew up really liking samurai films. And then when he moved to L.A. and he saw like these pretty young girls roller skating around town, he thought, how can I combine my love of roller skating girls and samurai films? And the result was rollerblade. That's the depth of Don Jackson's, you know, forethought. Oh, I see what he was going for now. He was trying to be like a modern day, like Akira Kurosawa, right? Whatever his intent was, there's like six of these movies. I mean, he kept it going. He didn't say all he needed to say with the first rollerblade. I knew there was a, a, a direct sequel. In fact, at the end of the credits... There's specifically a message that's like, look out for Rollerblade 2. Yeah, like, that that movie that's teased in the credits never happened. Uh, but they made a totally different sequel. It's not really a sequel. So the second one is called Rollerblade Warriors Taken by Force. And it exists in the same universe of this movie, but it doesn't have anything to do with the story of this one. Um and then all of them after that have some variation of the Rollerblade 7 in the title. I have not seen any of those. But those were... So sometime in the early 90s, um, Don Jackson started working with uh, a multi-talented producer slash director slash screenwriter slash actor, uh, like any number of things. Um, named Scott Shaw, and together they came up with the concept of Zen filmmaking. Like, what do you imagine when you hear the phrase Zen filmmaking? Meditative, minimalistic, it's, enlightening, self, you know, introspective. So the actual... Violent. <laughs> the the actual like premise or or primary tenet of zen filmmaking is that you film without a script 
And the justification for this is that if you just show up at the location with the actors, with some ideas, that you should film whatever naturally emerges, that you should not have any forethought or planning. And so all of the subsequent movies in this series were made under the auspices of Zen filmmaking. And I haven't seen any of those, so I can't weigh in on one, you know, one side or the other. Most of the time when a director comes out with some sort of weird bullshit filming criteria, like a rule set, they usually just end up breaking the rules anyway. So it's kind of like um, Dogma 95, right? That was picked up by um, Lars von Trier, um, Har like Harmony Korine, and probably a bunch of other, um, you know, European art directors that was all about filming under the most minimal of circumstances when it comes to lighting your scene or setting up everything it was supposed to be like creating your film all natural and then it turns out in retrospect in interviews they almost all always violated some tenant of it so whenever i hear about like some uh crazy filmmaking technique that the like a director like stands by the, to make their perfect film it's, it's usually something that's just there for marketing or appearances. I, I honestly think it was just a justification for laziness on the part of at least uh, Don Jackson. I don't have a whole lot of, of faith in Don Jackson's vision or, or talents. Um, he's probably most famous for the Hell Comes to Frogtown movies, which I do not care for. Um, Rollerblade is probably the film of his that I find the most entertaining, that I enjoy the most. I, I can tell you, going from The Demon Lover to this is such a huge leap in tone and substance. I, I was not, I mean, I didn't know what to expect from this film because I did not read anything going into it, but I certainly did not expect a mad max style rollerblade gang <laughs> like street fight that lasts an hour and 30 minutes you know i'm being delinquent in my hosting duties so if you have not seen this film it it takes place in um somewhere in los angeles during the second dark age somewhere in the future in which the 80s never went out of fashion and everybody in the future has to travel on wheels whether it's rollerblades or roller skates rather there's actually no rollerblades in this movie um roller skates or skateboards or shopping carts like you've got to be wheeling around um i don't know why because that's how you survive in the future yeah, I mean, once we get into the story, like there are some uh, there are some lines of dialogue that tell us how important it is to be on skates. Um, but perhaps my favorite is when a father tells his son um, not to cry, that his tears will rust the skates. Do you want me to find that? <laughs> um, sure. Yeah, I, I actually really like that. There's a couple of good dialogue exchanges in that scene. So before we play it, I should say that that kid is the son of Fred Olin Ray. Does Fred Olin Ray sound familiar? No. He was another low-budget filmmaker who was friends with Don Jackson. Um, you would probably know him as the director of Terror Tunes. Oh, no. <laughs> but he also direct he directed... Um, a movie called The Alien Dead, which was filmed in Oviedo, which is where Leland lives. Uh, kind of, but... I can't believe you don't know your Oviedo history. No, absolutely not. No, you know, they, they kind of neglect to mention that in City Hall. But he also he's also directed some movies that I think are really fun. Like, um, he did um, Scalps and Biohazard, which I think are pretty fun. Um and he did 
oh, he did Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers and Evil Spawn. So he's done some movies I really like. But yeah, there's definitely some stinkers in there, like uh, Evil Tunes. Did I say Terror Tunes before? The correct title. Terror Tunes. Evil Tunes. Okay, I haven't seen that. That's something totally different. I've seen this one. It's horrid. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it is. I'm not doubting you, but I have seen Terror Tunes, which is also a pretty horrible film. Is Terror Tunes a thing? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. So Terror Tunes came out in 2002. Now, this movie's from the early 90s. Yeah, no. The Terror Evil Tunes. Much more recent. That's one of those horror films where um, like a bunch of porn stars just got together and filmed the horror film. Uh, so are most Fred Olin Ray films. <laughs> yeah. Man, it... That is really just like a timeless like motif, I guess. Yeah, because both are both have low barriers to entry, right? You can do both fairly inexpensively, and everyone knows there's always a market for them. Still, though, I mean, if you're gonna compare like um, horror films with, you know, host like hacked entirely by by a porn cast, I'd imagine. Um, like, I'd imagine Mind, Body, and Soul is probably, like, one of the top ten of that <laughs> that whole, that whole like, I don't know what you'd call it. It's not really a genre. Is it, a like, a movement? A... <laughs> it's just, it's just a... <laughs> it's... Lifestyle? Way of, way of filmmaking? It's a... Filmmaking? It's a, it's a professional niche. Yes, professional niche, right. Yeah. We could probably we could probably make a list of those. Uh it would be beyond our ability to count. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's listen to some of this uh this Oscar caliber dialogue. Hey, Chris. Don't cry. Tears will cause thy wheels to rust. Remember what I told thee about balance. There is no up or down, only thyself. Centered, squared. A perfect point in the universe. There is no imbalance unless thou think there is. Now skate, boy, skate. Hey, don't worry. Thou find the balance. I did. It just takes time to find it. So I'm gonna like it's it's gonna sound like we're bashing this movie, but with dialogue like that, I find it impossible not to love. For a <laughs> For a B film, there are things in, that have way too much like quality and effort injected into them. And, and you think the dialogue is one of those things? Compared to like most B films, yes. It, you know, I would say this film at least has like a consistent like lore, like backstory to it than a lot of other like sci-fi B films. That might be overly generous. Like, all right, why why in the future do people speak in thighs and thous and these? I am I'm still I'm still I gotta say I am relieved that the director was not trying to say something great here, but they again he is at least consistent. And maybe this wasn't totally his fault. Maybe he had a crew that made sure that shit stayed consistent. But there even okay, so even if the logic in how this world would come to be and how the people are acting in it is incredibly flawed it is still i i as far as i could tell from watching this movie really consistent in its world building and lore and i think that that is something probably the best thing you can say about this film if at least if you're going to watch it sober well they they drop the dialogue thing in the second movie and the second movie people talk completely normal all right we ain't talking about the series we're talking about just this film right here yeah um no you know what like if you haven't figured this out from this podcast yet like what i love most what attracts me to these kinds of films the most is the inexplicability of them the utter mystery as to how anyone decided to it, it, add these ingredients together right like I, I don't know why people behave this way in the future and have to skate everywhere and speak in like the 
80s version of Middle English. Um, but they do. And so it really is like being transported to a whole other world to step into this. Um, I mean, all right, let's let's look at this. So first off, there's nothing in this film that indicates that this is Los Angeles and the second dark age like that. Was the, when you when I pulled up the trailer, that was the first I heard of it. But you can still kind of infer that this is obviously some sort of post apocalyptic world where something has devastated um, infrastructure and technology and has set back people pretty far to the point where they're now going back to religion to cope with the world's woes. And I just think that this sheriff who speaks <laughs> like a, like a preacher and this like religious coven of of uh, of roller skaters is just a symptom of like people coping the human condition of enduring really shitty times to live. Can can you think of any other movies that you would compare to this one? I mean, I guess Mad Max is the closest, right? But usually the religious fanatics are displayed as uh, antagonists rather than someone to root for. It it kind of reminds me of um, of Tank Girl. I think it and Tank Girl have a lot in common. I just mostly remember kangaroos in Tank Girl. I like Tank Girl a lot. I know people hate on that movie. I will defend that movie endlessly. No, I remember liking it. I just, all I remember is kangaroos. It has a similar, like, sort of borderline avant-garde um, punk aesthetic as this one does. But anyway, I think this is the perfect place to play the trailer. So let's play the trailer, and then we'll we'll get into the story. Rollerblade. The city of lost angels, the second dark age. From the rubble of the failed industrial world comes a mystical cult of sensuous she-warriors. Risen from the ruins of dead technology, they embark on a savage quest to defeat the evil army of a demonic warlord. Their mission, to save his helpless victims from fiendish torture and torment. This is the dawn of the age of Rollerblade. Wielding their mythic weapons of martial arts and psychic healing powers, this sisterhood of curvaceous crusaders battles to rebuild a battered land. In this realm of blood and lust, automobiles are rusting hulks, and roller skates are the only escape from ruthless ravagers. Witness the clash of two forces in a cataclysmic duel that explodes in an exciting climax of raw power and passion. Experience the ultimate futuristic fantasy adventure on wheels. Rollerblade from New World Pictures. So let's start by talking about the look of this movie. So based on my research, Don Jackson financed this movie entirely by himself on credit cards. And I saw everything from five to $70,000 for a budget. I suspect it was kind of in the middle. But given the low budget, what do you think of the the look of the movie? This film is aggressively 80s. It, it is aggressively 80s in every single aspect. It might be the most 80s movie I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I think that is a, a, the best possible assessment going into this film, that it is the most 80s <laughs> sci-fi film of all time and it just happens to be a b film about fucking roller skating <laughs> so so on the two sides right we've got a classic tale of good versus evil and the good is composed of the cosmic order of rollerblade uh made up by the the bod sisters who are like futuristic nuns and they wear they kind of look like a combination of an aerobics outfit and a clan robe. Yeah, and uh, the nuns very prominently have an iron cross <laughs> labeled on their on their their habits, like the the center of their of their robes. Uh huh. 
but I think it's supposed to be less Nazi and more just like ancient, like Germanic, you know, imperial tones, right? Like ancient Roman Empire sort of thing. Not well, they modern Roman Empire. They spend much of the movie naked anyway. In fact, in order to be spiritually cleansed, you have to get in a hot tub naked with other girls. And it heals your wounds. Did you recognize any of the girls in that hot tub scene? No, not a single one. So one of them is played by Michelle Bauer, who was in a previous film we covered. She is the main character in Cafe Flesh. Wait, the main character of Cafe Flesh had body doubles, though, in that film. So she actually was nude in this one, but not in Cafe Flesh? I think in Cafe Flesh, she only had body doubles for the set, like the penetration. Oh, okay. All right. I'm not even sure about that, um, but my memory's hazy. Uh, but Michelle Bauer was in so many um, B-horror films throughout the 80s and 90s, um, and she got naked in most of them. I think that was one of her calling cards. I mean, it, you might as well go all out, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, on the other side, we have our evil minions who are led by Dr. Sadakoi. So tell me what you thought about Dr. Sadakoi. So first off, I was never under the impression that this man had an army. I figured it was just one weirdo living underground that had a evil scientist scheme in order to rise the power like it never even comes close the movie never comes close to unveiling that he has like this vast like uh army of like soldiers that he is using to you know rise the power i mean this movie is very very limited right i mean i think we have a total cast of maybe like 20 people and two sets that you know, encompass three blocks or something like this isn't a very expansive vision. I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fancy outdoor shooting locations. This movie has a lot. Of, they've managed to find a lot of places that look um, looks like they've they have survived a nuclear blast. Yeah, I will say that's true of all of Donald Jackson's films that I've seen is the locations are actually pretty impressive. Like what he manages to convey with an extremely low budget um, is fairly impressive. But anyway, I interrupted you. Go ahead. What what else about Dr. Sadikoy struck you? You know, I did not expect him to actually be a person. Like I, <laughs> I really thought that there was just this antagonist was going to be this weird hand thing like the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. So like the first 45 minutes of the movie, um, as far as we know, Dr. Sadakoi is like a hand puppet that speaks in a really squeaky, annoying, like kids movie voice and speaks into this like amplifier system that uh, his minions are able to talk back and forth with him through like these, these pipes. And then we find out that it's not just bad special effects. The hand puppet actually is attached to another character. And so then you're like, oh, it is a puppet. And then about maybe 20 minutes after that, you're like, oh, no, it's just like a mutant attached to grafted to his hand. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it gets shot off, but it continues to live and talk. And walks around. So the, the hand puppet and the person who is controlling the hand puppet, um, I guess, are both called Dr. Sadakoi. Uh, and they argue about who's really in control. So uh, I guess they're a team. They don't really elaborate, do they? They don't really give us a backstory on the doctor. No, but his or or their mission is to steal this holy crystal from the sacred order of rollerblade uh because it will give him unlimited powers or something he wants to use the gym to power a self-automated fact weapons factory 
so that he can uh, get a hold of what I think is called, it's either energy weaponry or plasma weaponry that he can then uh, use to create a new empire for this ruined world. Yeah, so he he hires this girl, Hunter, who is like the 80s aerobics babe on, on you know, roller skates, right? And uh, he hires her to infiltrate the nuns um, by posing as a new recruit. And once she's gotten close enough, she can steal the, the crystal. I kind of liked this character. There are a few characters that could have been omitted from this film, and she is not one of them. No, I actually like her. Um, she she actually has like a character arc and is, is some thematic, you know, purpose in the movie. But our other most important character uh, is probably the police officer who is named Marshall Goodman. <laughs> <laughs> And Marshall Goodman has a son, Chris. This is the one who's played by uh, Fred Owen Ray's son. And uh, Chris is the most featureless personality lacking. He is like a he could be a cardboard figure. He's just a child there to be victimized as a plot point. Yeah, exactly. He 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 plays no real role in the story. But we also need they could have just left him completely out. (laughs) They really could have. Yeah, that's as I was watching it. So this is hitting review territory, but this movie is at least 30 minutes too long. And so as I was watching it, I kept thinking, like, what could they have excised from this movie? And it still would have worked. They could have excised him for sure. So, yeah, they could have they could have X the kid. There is a character introduced about halfway through the film with long hair that originally kidnaps the kid for Dr. Whatever the fuck his name is. And the for some reason, the army double crosses him and kills the kidnapper. But then the kidnapper is brought back to life with the restorative (laughs) powers of a fucking switchblade. Yeah, get this. So the the cosmic nuns, the sisters, they can heal you and bring you back to life. But only once the rules forbid that you ever use your magic to help someone more than once. I didn't realize it was a rule. I thought it was just like a limitation (laughs) that makes it worse. (laughs) Yeah, because because there's one point where um, one of the sisters, I think it's Sister Sharon, uh, wants to bring Hunter back to life, but she's already brought her back to life once. So she can't do it again. And she says, I wish I could save you, but I'm only allowed to use my powers once. See, I thought it was a limitation to the power, not a rule. Oh, I think it's a rule. You know, I'm, I'm willing to believe you on that because this film is that ridiculous. Anyway, this, so this kidnapper gets brought back to life and has like a redemption arc where he fights against the villains. And this takes up like a good, what, 15, 20 minutes of the film? They could have yeah. this whole entire guy out. That whole story could have been taken out. But the other, um, there's another important figure we haven't talked about, and that's a Mother Speed. Uh, and yes. so Mother, Mother Speed, she, she is the head of the Cosmic Order of Sisters, and she's in a wheelchair but she wears her roller skates in the wheelchair (laughs) when when i saw that i'm like surely this film is not being serious at this point but i don't know like i didn't know i had to ask i don't know either i really don't know like i know it's not trying to do anything serious but i don't know if it's trying to make us laugh or not but i did laugh a lot (laughs) because you know samurai films aren't humorous like this if he's really trying to create like a like an old like Japanese style, like feudal Western sort of thing. You know, you don't, <laughs> you don't put a nun on wheel skates in a wheelchair. Uh, 
Mother Speed gets a lot of the best lines in this movie, but early on she says, I remember when the streets were well lit and we skated for fun, but now thou either skate or die. And that just establishes her character so well. This this saying, skate or die, I always thought originated in a in a game made by Atari with the same name uh, for the NES. And then I heard it in this film. There's a sign very prominently in the beginning. You know, there's a skateboard like buried like a tombstone in a mound of garbage. And it says like on it, skate or die with like skull and crossbones. Uh-huh. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, is that where the, the phrase came from? Or did it come from the game? And I don't know. I don't know anymore. For, for those that don't know what I'm talking about, this video game, which it was created by um, EA Electronic Arts before they became like a behemoth bad guy in the video game industry, uh, you played as a skateboarder that was dropped down into the middle of a level and then there would be a swarm of bees that would start behind you and you would just hear skate or die because if you didn't skate, you'd get stung by bees and die. <laughs> <laughs> No, I never played that one. But so what initiates this whole plot is Hunter is skating and the batteries die in her Walkman. And so she goes to Dr. Satikoy and what she wants in payment for stealing the gemstone is batteries. Throughout this whole movie, people use batteries and ball bearings as, as like payment. I thought that was hysterical. I understand batteries, but like ball bearings? Well, there's one point where they toss a bag of ball bearings to someone and they say something like, it's enough to skate forever. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's it's It really made me laugh. I mean, it, hey, at least it's consistent. They stick with it. Yeah, the, their knives are also really important. Uh, they all have like the butterfly knives that you just wave around in the air. Um, and <laughs> there you go. And Mother, yeah. Mother Speed tells them that um, all weapons and battle techniques must be converted into tools of love. I think she also says at a point try to always attack your enemy without wounding them or harming them <laughs> yeah, people are constantly knocked unconscious dropped into vats of acid yeah but not by the nuns uh well the hmm. you know maybe maybe nah no the, the nuns are still concussing people like you look you can't get around that sort of thing you can't well, they try. They're kind of like they're kind of like Jainists. Are you familiar with the Jainist religion? I am. But please, yeah. man's so away. Yeah. So if you don't know, Jainists believe that, and and I'm paraphrasing. So if you are a Jainist and you want to correct me, please. Uh, but my understanding is they believe that it's sinful to hurt any living thing. So this includes like grass and vegetables and so they are not allowed to walk across grass or to to pick their own vegetables although they can eat them if someone else picks them um they can't drive because their cars might hit insects so it's all about like reducing your propensity for any kind of violent impact that's what i thought about the the cosmic order here they they're um they seem to worship, or at least the symbol of their order is a smiley face. And Which every time. Okay, so it looks silly, right? But it kind of makes sense, because think about it. And this is supposed to be like either the, the, the catastrophe or whatever happened was either in the 80s or slightly after the 80s. And I'm pretty sure the smiley face like that was still seen as a, an image of like the anti war effort or people who are against uh you know violence in general like from the hippies like the hippie movement mm -hmm. so i could see that image being like readopted by a like a pacifist dunk well they're not really pacifists but um like soft pacifist roller skating nun cult 
No, I get that. And, and there's some of that in the Mad Max universe as well, like the the recycling of images and, and elevating them to new significance. Uh, but I like Dr. Sadakoi's um, symbol is like a frowny face that says smirk on it. One scene I wanted to... to oh, you know what? Before we get to that, we have not mentioned that the, the nuns have a dog. What oh the fuck gosh. is up with this dog? Yo, this dog is is magical. <laughs> I, I think it brings someone back to life at one point with kisses. There, there is a scene where um, Hunter is being initiated as a sister and Mother Speed says, I give thee a new name. Thy name is now Sister Fortune. And then we see the dog and the dog is like having a seizure or something like not an actual seizure like a magical seizure I, I it's very weird this dog also wears a tarp with an iron cross on it <laughs> yeah it's got its own habit <laughs> i don't know if it was intentional but there's like a like a small choreography dance number with the nuns and like some and some of the uh, i guess the street attire nuns like in a on roller skates on a on a flat street shot and while they're doing their choreography the dog runs across <laughs> like the perfect time yeah I, I mean most of the movie the dog's just a dog but there are these scenes like the seizure one or the one where it brings someone back to life where uh, it it bypasses ludicrousy and goes, I don't know, off the, this movie's off the charts bonkers. Like, I, I really don't know what to think about this movie. I'm not sure if this healing power was necessarily something that was um, developed by having strong faith after the apocalypse, or if it was just some sort of symptom that they acquired from this like infinite power cell technology that they have locked away in their monastery. Well, you know, for the majority of the movie, we're led to believe that the key to power is this crystal. And if Satakori gets it, he will be able to, you know, have all this power at his disposal. But then at the end, the stone is destroyed when Satakori is destroyed and Sister Sharon is like, ah, the crystal doesn't matter. The power lies within us. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that just means they've already been mutated by the crystal so they can just heal whatever. And man, oh, maybe it'll go down through the bloodline. You think the crystal's like nuclear? Well, it's definitely some sort of like weird, sustainable future technology, right? Like, it's always glowing. It's pulling out a ton of energy into fucking rejuvenating hot tubs. And then somehow this energy is also transferred to these nuns that cure people by going <laughs> with their fucking switchblades in front of people with their jugulars cut. <laughs> I, I would imagine that there, they, the, in, the, in the world of this film, that there was these very strong power sources. The powers in control used this technology to fund their war, and it, the weapons were so strong that it obliterated just about everything. But somehow, this one survived. And maybe the people that found it, I don't know, years, decades later, we don't know. I'm probably thinking way too much about this don't know about the side effects of being exposed to this kind of technology kind of like when you have a hospital in like south america get, get, go out of business and the um you know like the machines that do mris and like brain scans they have pieces inside them that are highly radioactive but are otherwise contained but then you'll have like some sort of like salvager, some guy who's like impoverished, who lives off of selling junk, pull radioactive material out of one of those machines, bring it into their community and cause like a nuclear like incident where multiple people are get ill and died. Like, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I mean, it it makes sense. Theoretically, like I did not know that I did happened. not know. 
I didn't know it was a thing that happens. I don't think it happens super frequently because I think after that incident occurred in the 80s, there is now uh, most governments have protocols in place for properly um, securing and dismantling hospital equipment if a hospital goes out of business to, to stop that sort of thing from happening. But I can imagine that this is kind of like something that, you know, th that happens, except instead of people like uh, developing seven types of cancer and dying in three weeks, they get healing powers of switchblades because that's a more interesting story. <laughs> well, I mean, Mother Speed would have to know something, right? Because she was around before the apocalypse. She said she remembers when they used to skate for fun. Right. So how old is Mother Speed, though? I don't know. Preserved by the power of the jewel. Uh, maybe. You know, we could probably not get answers to any of these questions in like the seven movies that follow, but I think we have already thoroughly overanalyzed this enough. Hey, actually, while we're on the, on this topic, um, do you want to talk about the viability of roller skates in a world where none of the roads are going to be maintained? <laughs> I mean, the the only scene in this movie where they're not wearing skates is when they go onto the beach and i was thinking like why would you take them off to go on the beach you don't take them off any fucking elsewhere right i guess they, they take them off the, do they take off rollerblades to go onto the beach yeah because, now there's a bunch of punks that are skateboarders that don't wear skates yeah but um but hunter is uh is fighting with them like kung fu fighting and she's not wearing her skates she picks them up off of the sand oh yeah so she's, they removed them there rebel, right so, what i mean she is a rebel yeah i was gonna say i i just thought they also take them off to get into the the magic healing hot tub oh yeah i guess they do yeah oh man that would have been fucking hilarious if they didn't though but yeah you're totally right like I don't understand the practicality of skates in this setting at all, but it is of vital importance because the scene we played earlier where uh, Marshall Goodman is telling his uh, son not to worry that he'll get the hang of skating, he's like banning him from going outside until he learns to skate. He says, thou must stay inside until thy learneth to skate. We're, could you skate when you were a kid? I can't skate now. No, me neither. I could I could never skate, and I was traumatized by all my friends used to have their birthday parties at the skating rink, and I would just go and fall and be humiliated. So the last time I tried to roller skate, I think it was like sophomore year of high school, where um, I, I tried to go out to the skating rink, and it was, it was a disaster. And... I'm normally pretty well coordinated. Like I can do some cool shit on a bike. <laughs> I uh, I'm, I'm really good with my hands. You know, I can run, skip, jump, you know, fighting classes, whatever. But roller skating, for some reason, something just doesn't doesn't function with, between my body and the street. Yeah, no, I could never figure out how to move on them and or ice skates. My my wife forced me to go ice skating a few winters ago. And uh, yeah, she never made me go again because she realized I can't stay upright. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can I can fucking stand on my head. I, I can do other things. I'm not like an inept, a physically inept person, but I can't skate. I haven't tried ice skating since I was like four, but I can't imagine it'd be any different. Well, this skate, this kid gives up. He he says he says first I'll learn to shoot like dad, then I'll learn to skate like dad. And he goes outside with guns, but no skates. Um, and this is when he gets captured and put in the shopping cart, like immediately. <laughs> Which, by the way, we're talking about the practicality of skates. Wearing roller skates while you try to push a shopping cart down the road is i now know one of the most ridiculous things you could possibly try to do and how do you know that because i've i witnessed it multiple times throughout this movie <laughs> i don't know they managed to do it all right i thought it was <laughs> i thought it was ridiculous looking i i don't think that's necessarily um the most ridiculous part about the roller skating but man when i when i think about roller skating in urban environments there is a video I remember um, 
I can't remember if it's if it was American or South American law enforcement, but it was a local news segment where this city that uh, this interview was being conducted in was creating a um, like a roller skate roll slash roller blade law enforcement division within like the urban police department. I like how you see bike cops, but on, you know, rollerblades. And they were showing like how um, this could be like beneficial and like tra traversing like the urban environment. And they had this guy um, like fully rollerbladed, you know, riot gear, whatever, start to run upstairs. And he like slipped on like stairs three of six and like totally face planted and the camera had a pan away. I, I, I just don't feel like roller skates are really going to be uh viable especially in a world where again sidewalks streets they're not going to be maintained they're going to be falling apart weeds are going to be everywhere you know i was bashing on don jackson earlier and like his vision but i do appreciate the fact that he came up with this image right post-apocalyptic female samurais on roller skates and he was like doesn't matter if it makes sense or not like no attempt at creating logic he just pursued his vision no matter what i think I mean, there's hey, on paper i think i think the roller skates works on paper because you know you're clearly going to be more faster and maneuverable than someone on foot especially if you're going to be like i don't know robbing people in a post like vehicle world like great you know advantage but this I, is not the this is not the only movie that like post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic movie that focuses on them um did you ever see solar babies of course not who who has ever seen a movie called solar babies it's it's an absolutely awful 80s sci-fi movie for kids but i did it when i was really going crazy back um, you know, 15 years ago, buying out video stores. Uh, I had a copy of it at one point, and so I watched it. Um, but anyway, it's like a post-apocalyptic kids movie. But if I remember correctly, the kids go everywhere on roller skates in that one, too. So I don't, I don't know what it is, but I somewhat admire the fact that regardless of any logic, Don Jackson pursued what he wanted to pursue. Yeah, and again, the, the movie's consistent. It sticks with it. So we were talking about the the sisters, uh, the nuns, you know, fighting um, but not to kill. And uh, they, do, they do jousting, what they call jousting, to exercise aggression. Um, but it's really just skating around with knives pointed at each other while they say uh, profound things. They say so many profound things. I think we should play this scene. Each blow is an invitation to heal. Violence is a puzzle, and love is the key. Turn thy blade from war to peace. The wounds we inflict make evil cease. We haven't talked about the music. That is the first time I really paid attention to the music was replaying this clip. I mean, it really stood out to me, but even when I was watching the movie, it, it like, it, you know, with most movies like this, like, well, not like this, but post-apocalyptic movies like Escape from New York, you get some sort of like 80s, uh, you know, action synth score. Um, but no, here you get like holy music. I mean, it is two nuns leaving their monastery to wax philosophical about their movement. And also, like right before they go on their their roller skate out to the jousting field, they like stop to pray at a shrine. That's uh, <laughs> it looks like there's this like happy face made out of cast metal and a mound of garbage. But in the next scene, Mother Speed has to inspect all of the new sisters in the nude. Of course. <laughs> so you've got a real uh, a real. I don't know, confluence of, of factors here, of, of attitudes. You've got the the holy prophesizing, you know, proverb spouting, and then you have the nude inspection. 
ultimately this is a film made by a director with a roller skate girl fetish the, the finale of this film is a topless girl on roller skates knife fighting doctor oh man what the fuck is his name i can't remember Satakoi. dr Satakoi. like that is the finale that is what you're walking into here if you decide to watch this yeah so this is sister sharon who we haven't talked a lot about but she is the the real nun who's assigned to guide um hunter into the sisterhood and she gets a little bit of acid splashed on her clothes and so of course she has to remove them all and and fight nude for the rest of the scene just imagine the director see guys it's strategic she has to take it off <laughs> well uh this was when he was still writing screenplays so i wonder if he you know was trying to think up all the possible excuses to integrate into the screenplay that would get people naked at least he put forth the effort yeah um so i don't know is there anything else you want to talk about before we give reviews let me page through here real quick i do want to say that i think the final line of the movie is fantastic it's a mother speed looking over her sisters and she says go forth and skate the paths of righteousness i thought that was especially appropriate and and memorable were you disappointed when it turned out the kid wasn't dumped into the vat of acid you know i i, would, I won't say i was disappointed but i I had just gotten to the point where I'd start to believe maybe he had been because normally in an eighties movie like this, with the exception of the blob, like your main kids don't die. And so when we thought he'd been dropped in acid, I was like, there's no way he's just somewhere else. Um, but then time went on and time went on and I thought maybe he was dropped in the acid and that's when he shows up. Remember screenwriters at home, it is socially acceptable to have a woman, a wife, die so that a man feels bad and can use it as a character building experience. But you can't use their son to die. That's that's no go. Have to keep the kids alive and well. Were were you hoping that he'd actually been uh, melted? Uh, I mean, I just I just thought the the script was going to have that kind of ruthlessness, and and I and, and, and you know in. The script's defense, as the thing was dropped into the acid, you know, we don't get to hear the kid on it. We don't hear any, like, struggling coming from the vat as the stuff is dropped in. Yeah. So I was like, I, I don't think the kid was there. And then the kid actually gets escorted out. Uh, it feels like a cop-out. I, I, I do want to say, in talking about this ending, I, I brought it up earlier, but... All right, so the whole movie revolves around this crystal, this all-powerful crystal. And in fact, when Mother Speed finds out it's been taken, she tells Sister Sharon to go get it no matter what, because without it, mankind is doomed, that they need it to mend a broken world. On the other hand, the first thing Dr. Satakoy and his hand puppet want to do with it is go to Mexico. <laughs> like escape to Mexico. And then when the, the gym ends up being destroyed, Sister Sharon's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. So the end was kind of an altogether letdown for me. I guess they were going to like grab all the weapons from the factory once they got up and running. And then I guess they would start their next, the, the next new world order in Mexico, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh let's wrap up let's give final thoughts and a rating out of four i wholeheartedly believe that this is probably the most beest b film i've ever seen i don't think anything is ever going to top this and i think it's truly impressive that the director takes this absolutely ludicrous concept and manages to keep it consistent throughout the entire like hour 30 that said this should not 
not have gone on for an hour 30. This movie probably would have been better off maybe hour, hour five, ten, something like that. But as Luke and I have already discussed, there are a couple of characters that are focused on that probably should have been better removed from the film. I guess the kid needed to be in the film to kind of humanize the uh, pastor sheriff or whatever he was supposed to be. But the guy that like redeems himself from the doctor's crew, that guy could have gone for sure. The filming locations are and the set design is really good. And especially when you consider the amount of money that was probably spent to make this, this film looks pretty awesome. Even like if, if you're into the eighties aesthetic, even on like a beat up old VHS, like I watched it on and what you find on YouTube is that's ripped is really not much better. Has this movie made it to like a remastered DVD? No, oh, that's kind of surprising. No, the only way you can get um the only way you can get it or the first few sequels is on VHS, and it's pretty rare. I mean the the New World tape goes for like eh, I think it goes for like thirty or forty bucks, but the sequel goes for like one fifty or two hundred. So that said, um, I wonder if a lot of the crew especially based on what we discovered during the demon lover just didn't get paid for this movie. I wouldn't be surprised to find some kind of shenanigans there, especially if we're looking at entire films budget to be what 70 K at most is what you're saying. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I have a feeling some actors, actresses were not paid, which is uh really unfortunate. The dog is the star of the show. Yeah. <laughs> just steals every scene it's in and is also just inexplicable. It resurrects somebody with kisses. What a good boy, right? <laughs> I, I wish my dog could do that. But despite having, um, you know, some pretty iconic scenes and imagery and all that, uh, this film is kind of a slog to get through. I had to take my phone and and toss it into another room about halfway through because uh, some some parts of this movie just drag really hard. That said, this is probably movie best not watched sober. <laughs> um, you, it, we've covered shit like that before. This is this is definitely being thrown into the same bin. Uh, you, you probably want to be under the influence of something and not be alone when you watch Rollerblade. <laughs> So my my viewpoint is coming from someone who did all the wrong things. And despite a lot of the cool things this movie has going for it, I, I got to rate it a one star because a lot of things just don't land uh, when you're just trying to watch it as is. And it's unfortunate because despite the absolutely absurd premise <laughs> and logic and, and frankly everything about this film there's a, a strange amount of quality care and attention put into it like i feel like this wasn't this is not a half-assed movie it's from like a creative perspective maybe from the financial perspective but definitely no artistic intent was sacrificed. I feel like everything this guy wanted to do ended up in this film for better or for worse. Yeah, I think all that's fair. Um, honestly, I think this is a movie that kind of uh, defies the rating system. Like, I, 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 I've repeated this over and over again, but I don't know how you rate a movie like this, and that's especially true um, because... It's certainly not good. It's not really competently made or directed, um, in, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know how much of that is due to the budget and how much is due to um, the ineptitude of Don Jackson. Um, I think that it's definitely problematic in a like sexploitative way. But with all that said, I really like things that are bonkers and inexplicable and for which I cannot rationalize the progenesis of the movie, right? Like, 
I guess I can imagine someone stoned coming up with the idea for this movie and then just whatever it takes, I'm going to realize my vision. But if that was the case, I kind of respect that. And I think that like this movie really makes me laugh. Like I really have a fun time watching it. Uh, the imagery, the uh, the dialogue, especially of Mother Speed, um, just the balls to the walls nonsense that's on display here i think is really fun the the biggest sin of this movie to me is it's just too long they could easily cut 20 minutes of this movie where it drags um and this would be like a perfect party movie to me like the perfect movie to throw on with your friends who are gonna stare at the screen and ask what the fuck and like you all have a new experience together um that's the kind of movie this is. So, yeah, I, I feel I almost feel like I shouldn't rate this movie, but I'm going to give it two and a half, a slightly above average recommend, despite the ineptitude of the film. I mean, I disagree with the film being badly directed, all things considered, but otherwise, I think that's that's pretty spot on. Really, man? I, yeah, I think you're right. If this movie was just a little shorter, it would have been more um, accessible to to general viewing. Yeah, and and so I I said earlier I've only seen the first sequel, Rollerblade Warriors. I actually finally acquired a copy of it recently, um, a Japanese tape, which I think is like I think the U.S. tapes actually more rare. Um, but anyway, uh, I finally got a copy of it. And I was really excited to watch it, but it let me down. It, I didn't. It, I didn't have as much fun with it uh, as the first one. It it's not as weird. So anyway, the uh, the the like quarter of this film that I would have cut out is that that most closely resembles the second one, which is like a lot more action, a lot more hijinks, um, but not much story or character or dialogue. So, so it sounds like our rollerblade journey through the war-torn streets of Los Angeles end here. I think our Don Jackson journey is probably over unless we have the fans of Hell Comes to Frogtown come out of the woodwork and insist that we do it. Uh, I, I think I think this is probably the end of our Don Jackson coverage. But we'll see. Never say never. If we end up doing like a thousand episodes, we might start to run out of things to talk about. That's a good place to discuss what we're going to watch next week. Next week, we're going to talk about the 1972 film Asylum of Satan, which is one of those 1970s sort of borderline hammer horror inspired but uh also sort of satanic panic um mixed with the female protagonist maybe crazy but probably isn't storylines uh i like this one i think it's i think it's really fun just like drive-in fair so yeah this will be a first time watch for you right leland yep all right well i hope that you like it more than you like to rollerblade I think the odds are pretty good on that. I think I think you can't really go wrong with these kinds of movies, especially on like like I watch I like watching these movies, these 1970s uh, sort of I don't hell, I don't know how to describe these movies, but uh, I like watching these kinds of movies like on a rainy Saturday afternoon. That's when I that's when I enjoy getting sucked into them. So, all right. So next week, Asylum of Satan from 1972. Uh, the VHS is pretty hard to get. Um, I think this has been reissued on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, it's on YouTube. So easy flick to check out, even if it's a hard one to get on tape. So until uh, next week, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares, where I post everything we do. Uh, Leland, any last words? Thank you for your continued support. Yep, and it's good to be back with you all. We will be back again next week to talk about Asylum of Satan. We'll see you then. I guess we'll hear you'll hear us then. Something like that.